Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we come here hungry to make a connection with you, the living God. We've come out of week, a week that pulls us in many directions. We come here with many needs. And we seek a kind of relationship with you that can enable us to trust you as the Bible calls us to trust you. So we can literally live without anxiety. Live filled with rejoicing no matter what's going on in our life. And God, that kind of transformation of our emotions needs a miracle. And we pray for that this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I want us to think together about the power of our attitudes. In the corporate offices of a successful Bay Area business where I had lunch the other day, this truth was hanging in large letters in the uh, office as you went in. Attitude is everything. And that phrase was in front of the employees every day, all day. And it occurred to me that it's really true. It's not our circumstances. It's our response, our interpretation, our attitude toward our circumstances that determines the amount of joy and contentment and peace we find in this life. What that really means is that if you're a Christian and you're lacking the peace and joy and contentment and abundance that Jesus promises his followers, the problem is not that God hasn't kept his promise. The problem is that we're making the wrong response to our circumstances. Now, our struggle to acquire attitudes that enrich us rather than impoverish our souls is a, is, a, is a struggle that's as old as King David when he asks in our text, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? But what caught my eye last summer when I was studying this is the other half of the verse. Something changes, and he says, Put your hope in God, and I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. From a downcast soul to praise. That has a message for us in terms of our attitude. So as we continue our study of the Holy Spirit and progress on our spiritual journey, we're going to discover that this very complex um, person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, can be quite simple in his function in our lives. And today we're going to point out that this function of the Spirit is to help us adopt Christ-like attitudes Attitudes that will bring us the peace and joy that we seek. Attitudes we desperately desire, but for many of us thus far in our life, we've been unable to adopt. And I hope that this might make us desire to understand the Holy Spirit more fully if you desire an attitude change, because most of us lack the power. All of us lack the power to do it ourselves. So let's look at this text. First it says, trusting or hoping in God changes our attitude. Note the text again. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? That's where many of us might be this morning. And yet, the next word, put your hope in God, and then what happens? I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. That's a miracle. King David made a choice. He decided that being imprisoned to his downcast soul was not a normal condition for a person who believed he was related to a God and a God was related to him who loved him, who promised to care for him, who was watching over his life and who said, nothing going on in your life is beyond my control. And then I'm impressed with the dramatic change of attitude when David changes, made a choice, 
And he changed from being dominated by his downcast soul to praising God. And the question is, what happened? And that's very important for us. There's only one thing that could have happened. He made a choice to bring God into his calculations for the problems that were confronting him and driving him into despair. He decided, I'm not going to carry this alone. God is my God. I'm his child. I've got a partner here. I don't have to shoulder an impossible burden alone. So armed with this choice, this hope in God, something happened. He suddenly realized that by trusting God, supernatural resources were available. Help was on the way, and his attitude changed from a downcast soul to a chorus of praise for the faithfulness and adequacy of God. Think about it. That's so simple, yet it's so profound. This is a lesson you've heard a thousand times in church if you've come, so have I. And we go on, though, with this struggle of saying, yeah, that's right. But the next crisis comes and we're living like a spiritual orphans, abandoned, unable to tap into and trust the resources of that God that can lift us out of the despair of a downcast soul. The secret seems to be bringing God into our calculations when we're up against things that are beyond our personal power to cope. And that decision changes our attitude. It's not our circumstances. It's not what happens to us. It's either our acceptance of or our refusal to trust God in the midst of these circumstances. Think about what would happen to you today if you're down here, if you're in church and you're in the pits today. What would happen if suddenly you started to expect that God is going to intervene in the very situation that's causing you hopeless distress? What if you really knew supernatural resources were on the way to help you cope with this huge challenge that's burying you? I believe that kind of decision would lift you out of the pit and give you a new attitude, an attitude of expectancy and optimism and joy. I'm a child of God. He hasn't abandoned me. And everything's going to be okay, even if this morning I'm in a cul-de-sac of impossibility, as I've chosen the title. You see, it, it's this confidence in crisis that makes us contagious as Christians. That makes us different from people out there who don't know that a loving God is watching over them. They're not in contact with this God. They can't draw on his resources, so they live like spiritual orphans. That should not be true of us who take the name Christian. Imagine the impact when the Holy Spirit would come upon you today to your downcast soul and assure you that nothing, nothing is impossible with God that God loves you and he isn't going to allow anything to happen to you that's going to in any way negate his long-term plans for good for your future. That faith should free us from being paralyzed by bad attitudes. It should stop us from running into panic every time a new crisis raises its head because in life we're going to have crises. And we either spend our life from one panic to another or from one choice of trust to another. And that decision makes all the difference in how we live. Someone sent me 
This essay on the internet, and probably many of you have read it, it's actually what triggered this sermon last summer. It's about Jerry, and Jerry was the kind of guy you love to hate. He was always in a good mood, always had something positive to say. And one day, I went up to Jerry and I asked him, I don't get it. You can't be a positive person all of the time. How do you do it? And Jerry replied, each morning I wake up and say to myself, Jerry, you have two choices today. You can choose to be in a good mood or you can choose to be in a bad mood. And I choose to be in a good mood. Each time something bad happens, I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to learn from it. And I choose to learn from it. Every time someone comes to me complaining, I can choose to accept their complaining or I can point out the positive side of life. I choose the positive side of life. Yeah, right. It's not that easy, I protested. Well, yes, it is, Jerry said. Life is all about choices. And when you cut away all the junk, every situation is a choice. You choose how you react to situations. You choose how people will affect your mood. You choose to be in a good mood or bad mood. And the bottom line is, it's your choice how you live life. Let me anticipate your reaction, at least some of you, to this story. Many of you would say to me immediately, Walt, Jerry's attitude is not faith in God, it's just positive thinking, nothing Christian about it. And my response would be, probably. Yeah, it's positive thinking, but you see, the point in this text is if a Jerry can do something like this, and I don't know anything about Jerry, I don't know about his spiritual life, the point is, as Christians, if we're suffering from a downcast soul, we can be delivered. We can make a choice, not by positive thinking, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can transfer from downcast souls to trust-filled thinking because we know God is in charge of the challenges we're facing. That's either the biggest myth of our faith or it's the greatest asset going for us as Christians. And we have to choose what we're going to believe. Last week, I talked with a husband who lost his wife at too young an age. I was impressed by what he didn't say to me. Rather than in bitterness crying out against God for taking his wife and the mother of his children, he talked about celebrating her life. And he was rejoicing in the time that they had shared together. And then he talked about the comfort both of them had found when knowing her death was imminent, of knowing where she was going, and how even in the last moments, he just knew as she slipped into eternity, she was slipping into the arms of Jesus, to that home prepared. And when her, his six-year-old got up at the memorial service, she was able to say, you know, it's so good to know mommy is in the arms of Jesus. And they were here last night as a family, and I was watching them function, and they were saying, Walt, everything you said is absolutely true. He said, I can choose how I'm reacting to this loss. And I've chosen to trust Jesus Christ. And as a family, we're making it. You see, this isn't positive thinking. It's the most glorious truth in the world. It means you and I are children of God. And if we have downcast souls, it just means we've forgotten who we are. When we trust that this God is in control of us, we can rejoice all the time. We can take our anxieties to him and find peace. Faith works. Attitude is everything, folks. The problem is we resent it when somebody tells us that my happiness is my choice. It's a lot easier to be a victim and blame our circumstances. And that's why we have to hear this word of God and make some hard choices. 
if I could summarize this first point, it's hoping in God as described in our text means this. So simple. As God's children, we know we are not at the mercy of circumstances. We know nothing is impossible for the God we love and who loves us. And we know God will respond when we call out to him in distress. I say again, what a way to live. What an attitude. This is our legacy as followers of Jesus. And above all, it's evidence that the Holy Spirit is in this place. This leads to a second truth. Changing our attitudes isn't something we do. It's something the Holy Spirit does for us. Again, going further into the text, probably this is one of my favorite in the Bible. I've memorized it so many times. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again. Rejoice. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then the peace of God that passes or transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If there's any gift I could give us today, it would be that we would be aware that the Holy Spirit can guard our hearts and our minds that are so torn by so many things. But if we're being honest, this verse calls us to an attitude we all want, but thus far, many of us have been unable to find. We don't rejoice in all circumstances. We still are torn by anxiety. You see, it, it's very discouraging to hear a sermon on the same subject over and over again. We try it and then we fail to find the gift. For years, these verses calling me to rejoice seemed like an impossible ideal. For me personally, instead of rejoicing too often, I find myself a victim of moods. Moods over which I have no control. I, I, I'm unable to snap myself out of bad attitudes, no matter how hard I pray and no matter how many times I read this verse. In my mind, I can will this verse, but in my, my emotions just don't follow. Maybe it was with good reason Paul says it twice. Paul doesn't often repeat things in his letter, if you know his style. And he says, rejoice always. And then I'll say it again, rejoice. Why the emphasis? I want to tell you today that Jesus is calling us to a supernatural way of thinking and of living and responding. This is not a call to positive thinking, lifting yourself up by your own bootstraps. God does not want us as his children to wallow in the mire of pessimistic, morbid, cynical attitudes. And if we've reached the point of maturity where we really want to be healed of bad attitudes, I believe we can ask the Holy Spirit to change us, and he will. I can't do it. You can't do it. Hearing a cheerleader up here urging you to think positive thoughts won't do it, but the Holy Spirit can do it. Remember how Paul contrasts our old nature with our new nature as Christians, and he urges us to put off anger, unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage, brawling, and slander, or bad attitudes. And then he challenges us to put on the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, good attitudes. Fruit isn't something we manufacture, it happens naturally. And this change in attitude is the transformation that happens when we as Christians get filled with the Holy Spirit. If, if I could simplify this character of the Holy Spirit, the function of the Spirit is to transplant the character of Jesus into us. 
It's the Holy Spirit then that enables us to trade the perverted satisfaction that we find in being a grump and a complainer and a pessimist and a critic of attitudes that blame our circumstances, that make us victims and gives us an excuse for our bad attitudes, transforms us into a person who's filled with rejoicing and optimism and hope. It's really true. Attitude is everything. And you have a choice today. You can believe that, or you can go on being trapped with downcast souls, being a victim. But don't blame God. Recently, the noted psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, who I have read in depth, he died. He was a survivor of the Holocaust. And he made an amazing statement that I found years ago for his formula of how he survived those impossible years in the death camp when everybody else around him died, literally by the thousands. I was very intrigued by what he said. He said, everything can be taken from us but one thing. The last of the human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. And he went on in his book, From Death Camp to Existentialism, in saying that he chose the fact that he was not going to die. He chose the attitude that he was going to make it and that God, from his Jewish faith, was going to watch over him. And where others had no hope and no despair, they literally rolled over and died, he was able by his attitude to stay alive. Chuck Swindoll, Christian that he is, summarizes this truth in a way maybe some of the rest of us can hear it. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We can't change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one thing we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to that. I want to repeat that. I think it's absolutely right. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. God bless Chuck Swindoll. So I ask you a question. Did you come to church downcast this morning? Are you sinking in a mire of bad attitudes and do you believe that you're not going to get happy again until God changes your circumstances? You know what? God may just let you sit in that pit of despair if your happiness quotient, your joy is dependent on your circumstances. You are a victim. The glorious alternative, you can follow David's roadmap. Let's put our focus on God. Let's bring God into our calculations. Let's focus on Him rather than our problems. Simple, yes, profound if you do it. So I thought before communion today, we could do something very practical. We could respond to this truth by giving to God the attitudes that have us paralyzed this morning. Let's see if this thing works. And let's have a time of quiet. And just, I don't know where God spoke to you in your life, but would you like to trade what's holding you in bondage 
for the gift of praising and trusting God and be free this morning. I think we can do that. You see, this communion table acts out a marvelous miracle. We're taking Jesus into us in this sacrament. That's what can change your attitude. Not positive thinking, but the Holy Spirit transplanting the character of Jesus into us. With all that truth, let's just spend some time talking with God about our attitudes, and then I'll call you back to communion in a few moments. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us to responsibility. It's difficult to take responsibility for our emotions. It's so much easier to blame other things and other people. Give us the insight through the Holy Spirit to believe we can choose to trust you, to hope in you, to believe that you really are involved, that you will intervene supernaturally in whatever is burdening us. Lord, even right now, we trade our pessimism and cynicism and despair for the joy and expectancy of knowing we're your children and your plans for us are good. We trust you in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to share with you the words of Paul the Apostle who said, I gave you a matter of first importance what I also received how the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he broke it he said this is my body broken for you eat it in remembrance of me and after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood drink ye all of it for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you do show forth the Lord's death until he come. And today, that means we also show the fact that it's really true. The resurrected Christ can take up residence in our lives and give us his attitudes. Let's ask God's blessing on the elements. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of communion. We think of celebrating now with Christians all around the world on this Worldwide Communion Sunday, our unity in you. And we're so grateful as we look to the future, knowing that the first thing we're going to do in heaven is to sit around the table and celebrate this sacrament with you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Now take these symbols of bread and wine and make them literally the body of Christ and the blood of Christ in our lives today. We pray in his name. Amen. We'd ask you to hold the bread and we'll eat it together.